0: What if everything you thought of, health and wellness, suddenly changed due to a hidden breathing problem that you are unaware of that affects every system in your body? Improper breathing habits are often overlooked in medicine. I'm Dr. Jenny from the Hobson Institute, and this is The Breathing Lab. Okay, everyone. Hi, this is Dr. Jenny Hobson and Martha Cortez. We're Welcome, here. Everybody. Welcome everybody, we are um, so excited to do another uh, Beauty of Breathing podcast and um, we're here on Facebook Live with uh, two very, very important, a physical therapist and a dentist that I'm going to present their bios in just a moment and we're going to talk about a very interesting study that we've done together basically, it's called the Aqualizer Study. So let me just first announce and give you a little bio on uh, Dr. Ira Shapira. And Martha, I know you know Ira very well. So I have a a few things I'm going to say, and then maybe you can say a few things about Ira. So Ira is a... Let me just get this out. He is, first of all, the, one of the most important thing. he's the editor of Cranial Journal, which is a very big deal. And this was just this past year, he has that new title. Um, he's a master and fellow of a neuro, the neuromuscular dentistry. Um, and he's the vice president of the ICMO. He is also a professor at the University of Castellan uh, master's program. Um, he's a former professor at Rush Sleep Department. So he is someone that in in my world um means a lot to me because he knows a lot about how dentistry can help TMJ and sleep problems. And he's we we refer patients back and forth to each other. He is one that knows all about expansion of the, you know, the the mandible and the um maxilla to improve airway and also how to create these perfect appliances to reduce tension on the painful parts of the TMJ as many of us and many of the patients that we see together do so um Ira thank you so much for coming and uh, Martha how do you know Ira real quick Pierre
1: and I know each other forever there is a good word forever um we seem to fly in the same flock of birds, always acquiring knowledge. But one of the most significant places is he was my first sleep doctor to train me. He actually was, but regular sleep, how do I say? So I'm a remodeler, I've always expanded jaws, but I needed to understand what is standard sleep medicine, dental sleep medicine. So he was really my my first faculty who really sat down and. Uh, he did a wonderful course. I brought the whole team. And then what happened was the magic is because he and I are so connected because what happens to the cranium happens to the body. What happens to the, cr- the cervical is the lumbar. It is the pelvis Um leveling the jaws. It is, we need to be leveled. <clears throat> body needs to be leveled. And then neuro, I love neurology. I love neural. And Dr. Shapira is unbelievable. And that's probably why he's, editor of the cranial journal.
0: Thank
1: you,
2: Dr. Shapiro. Yes, yes. Okay. Do I get to say say something nice about him too?
0: (laughs) Yes, you can, you sure can.
2: Yeah. Um, I got a chance to meet uh, Dr. Shapiro when Jenny pulled me into this study and I said, here's a dentist who seems to know that the head and the rest of the body are connected. I'm saying, amazing. You know, so that was a that was a really nice thing. Um, and Jenny Jenny will tell you, you know, I've had that opportunity to speak at a couple of national dental conferences on a, on how the body affects occlusion on the way up. And so with a with this study on the aqualizers, like taking a look at all the descending things, what's coming from the facial and head and neck that are affecting the body below. And I'm going, what a really nice connection. So. Thank you very much, Dr. Speer. I appreciate, uh, as I said, nice meeting a dentist who, who sees those <laughs> connections. It's, it's great. Yeah.
0: So hey. and that brings me to introduce Bill Esser. Bill and I um, have known each other for a while because we're in the world of TMJ and <clears throat> we are both physical therapists that um, get how the The bite is connected to the rest of the body. And you know, there's not that many of us. He is one of um, just about a hundred diplomats of something called the Certified Cervical and Temporomandibular Therapist. So he's a CCTT. He has seen over 5,000 TMJ patients in his career. He has been an instructor on TMD treatment for the past 12 years. He's from Southern Oregon. He happens to be retired um, and just recently retired, but, and he's, he is writing his whole, um, it's basically his coursework. If anybody's interested in learning from Bill, he's the tail end of writing a book and, and writing more of a manual for people that want to learn about how the TMJ is best treated and how to evaluate it. So Bill, I'm so happy to um, know you, and Ooh. it's great to have you together in this very uh, this airway world that I'm in right now. I know, I know TMD is a part of that airway world, um, but I'm so glad that you're you're here and you're spending this time with us. So thank okay. you for coming. Okay, um, I wanted to just I'm gonna I'm gonna share screen for a moment because there's there's something I want to show you, share screen. Okay. So Ira, Ira Shapira is the reason why um, this Aqualizer study um, started and we're doing more research on it. And it's called this, this editorial and cranial was done uh, this past year in March of 2022. It's called the Utilizing an Aqualizer Appliance to Address Back Pain Through a Dental Physical Therapy Approach. Okay, so that that, and you can easily find that on um, if you even just Google Aqualizer study and um, Dr. J- Jennifer Hobson comes up pretty easily. But Ira, so I wanted to have you kind of talk to us about, um, why did you want this study to even exist? like what what made you think this was something important?
3: that. An excellent question. So, first, I want to just thank everybody for everything you said. I gave Martha her first sleep course, but she pulled me into growing orthopedically bigger airways and jaws. Um, She is probably the most educated person I know. She takes every course that's ever out there. (laughs) Uh, Jenny, we worked on lots and lots of patients together. And we actually, this actually came as a result of. Initially, you had five physical therapists who were coming to my office, but only four of you could make it, so the fifth one zoomed in. Yes. And so we have a recording of that right now for the last few hours of it, and we discussed it, and that was where the discussions began for doing the aqualizer study initially. We've seen so many patients together, whether it's for oral myofunctional therapy, breathing exercises physical therapy, and then you're the perfect person to do it because you get it all under your physical therapy license. So we get these things covered under medical insurance where they belong, but sometimes it can't be covered under medical insurance for other cases. Uh, This was your first article you ever wrote. And thank you, Bill. Bill, you're going someplace.
2: (laughs) I'm turning out. Thank you, Bill,
3: because...
2: Nine more evenly colored. (laughs)
3: Jenny was a little bit of a panic mode when she found herself writing an article and she needed your mental and physical support as well as emotional support to work through it. Um, So it's like for all of you, it's like this happened, wouldn't have happened without all of us together. As far as the reason I wanted to do the aqualizer study. There's a lot of people out there who are saying, oh, TMJ problems, they're all psychological. They're not physical problems. Insurance companies have a thousand reasons not to pay for them. And it's like, and there's all this research that gets written and written and rewritten, but it's not real research. People just keep kind of quoting other people, but they never do the original research. And there's a physical connection to how the jaw, the upper and the lower jaw come together that affects the whole body. And it's a two way street. So we can have ascending problems that come because you have a long leg and a short leg. And you can have a problem of an apparent long leg and short leg or a high hip and a low hip because of a descending problem. And it's crazy important for people to understand that these physical relationships go through the whole body. Temporomandibular joint disorder problems aren't just a joint disorder or just a jaw disorder. They are full body disorders and it affects posture, airway, breathing, every part of our body. Um, the idea that TMJ problems are psychosomatic, which is being pushed by lots of com- com- companies, insurance companies, basically says that the definition of psychosomatic in terms of pain would be, I hurt because I'm crazy. And the problem is these patients aren't crazy. These patients hurt. They have what's called a somatopsychic problem. They have pain and their pain is driving them crazy. And yes, there are stress disorders that are related to this, but it's very important to understand that these are physical problems that affect the whole body, including breathing, sleep, and if our sleep and our breathing isn't good, our brain does not work right. Our emotions change, and the jaw is an input-output mechanism <laughs> into the brain, and we can change what's happening in the brain.
2: May I for something, uh, Jenny. Yeah, uh, I just finished writing a section. I'll send you on biocycle social. At the last course I was at, um, there was an orthodontist who teaches here in Oregon and he shared with me a recent article just put out by the American Journal of Orthodontics saying, what have we learned in the last 30 years? And it was basically heavy laden that the primary problem with TMD patients is the biopsychosocial. And um, my personal opinion is that uh, TMD patients have been labeled biopsychosocial for the last 30 years because our understanding of the systems is, is so poor that patients have to live with their pain year after year. And I think anyone uh, who has to deal with a chronic problem, and I believe they don't need to, <laughs> is uh, will have overlay. Um, that will continue that will drive their symptoms if i walked in with a hip problem and the doctor did not do appropriate imaging for me to tell what was on my hip they did not know how to do mechanical assessment of what's going on with my hip and the treatment therefore failed i'm maybe labeled biopsychosocial so um yeah. i i think it's unfortunate what's happening with our tmd patients <laughs> that's my general.
1: Input. Yes. And a lot of um, patients are females. And oh. estrogen drives, drives the pain worse because the men can have very similar things in their joint, but they just don't have the same pain expression because they have good testosterone. It doesn't show up the same way. And I that's- also
0: find that women are more of hypermobile, hypermobile. I'm going to turn my light and- on hypermobile in the sense of ligaments and laxity in the joints and they Mm -hmm. lose all joints that neutral position. And then they start loading parts of the joints and the muscles are, you know, working harder. Um, But I, we could have a whole discussion on TMJ and it's, it's, but the reason why I think I I'm I was shocked, okay. So I want to give you a little background about what this Aqualizer study is, and then we can kind of talk a little bit about what really um may be happening because of it. Um the aqualizer, if if you don't know what it is, it's it's a little device that, and I think I have it right here. It's a little device that basically you put in between your mouth and um you know what? I'll find it when someone else talks, but They're you little put cushions. Little cushions. Two, two little cushions you put in the back molars, back molars, little, little water, water, water cushions. So you basically are, if you have a higher tooth on one side and it's not hitting, you know, perfectly, it just kind of balances out the occlusion um, because you are now, those two little cushions are filling in the gaps. So you can imagine all the airway issues that we see in our day-to-day patient um, practice and a lot of people clenching to compensate for a compromised airway. This is this is a device that I give the people to say, okay, try to relax your jaw, keep your teeth apart, your teeth will start feeling that the, the little cushions get a little tighter. Um, and and more pressure in them when you start clenching on them, so this is really what we what we decided to use as a tool. Um, and what have you been seeing over all the years, Ira, with using this? You've been you've been the one using this the longest. What what have you seen?
3: Okay, so the pr- first thing, even long before I was understanding everything about the aqualizer, I used to review the papers of Marty lerman the guy who invented it so he'd send them to me before he published them (laughs) and he always wanted to change the whole world and i always told him take one little piece at a time because it's really hard to change the world in one fell swoop but what's important about the aqualizer is it works on a basic law of physics pascal's third law is hydraulics and the funny thing about laws of physics they don't change whether you're working on an automobile or if you use that same law of physics in a human. And so what it says is if you put fluid in a closed container, the pressure will be equalized everywhere. So those two little pads of fluid are connected. The one on the right side to the one on the left side. So it perfectly balances the forces based on a law of physics, Pascal's third law. When the jaw is perfectly balanced, that does not correct the hip heights that you're working with. But when the patient is perfectly balanced and then they go through movement and function, the movement and function, the body no longer has to avoid pathological inputs into the central nervous system, into the mesencephalic nucleus where we feel proprioception. So the effect of the pathological input to the brain is bypassed. And that allows us to look at what would happen if the pathology didn't exist. And we have to define pathology because sometimes people think of pathology as a broken bone or a cancer, but I'm gonna define pathology because this is what the aqualizer lets us do as an input to the brain that causes the body to have to adjust in an unhealthy way. So if you hit first on one tooth, if you just kept eating that way all the time, that tooth would crack or get incredibly sore and painful. So what happens is all the muscles of the head, the neck, the jaw have to adjust to prevent that input of pain from causing problems. That's what muscles do, they adapt. And the problem is muscles can adapt just so far. And then they start to have pain themselves. And if a muscle, and if one muscle starts to get pain, then another muscle takes over. And it's how myofascial pain spreads through the body. And it's the reason the TMJ patients don't just have jaw problems, but head and neck problems and low back problems. Is because the body's constantly trying to adjust to alleviate the pathological input.
0: So you've been using this device to kind of help patients. And you also, as a dentist, have been looking at hip heights a little bit, right? Just a little bit, not Uh, even just a tiny.
3: Okay, so I will say I've been looking at hip heights
0: Long, In, time.
3: long time <laughs> probably for 30 years but incorrectly because i was always saying people had a long leg short leg Yes, yeah. and thanks to bill i learned that no i can't say they have a long leg short leg i have to say they have a high hip low hip because to say they have a long leg short oh, leg, you have to you measure it to the <laughs> yeah
2: i and was you know, a dentist. that fight is the would be the correct term yeah
3: right so. So I didn't yeah. even know what a trochanter was. Until <laughs> it. Because when I was in dental school, we did our anatomy, but one day we came into Loyola Dental School and all the legs were gone because they'd sent them to the school of podiatry because mm-hmm. they didn't think it was necessary for the dentists dentist to, that to diagnose and or examine the lower part of the body.
2: Right. It's okay. Our our, our cadavers didn't have any heads.
0: (laughs) So, so, okay. So Ira and I met and um, you've been seeing this trend with these patients after introducing this aqualizer, where if they had a discrepancy in the the height of their iliac crest, um, you would put this aqualizer in their mouth and either have them walk, and we, we this is part of the study, we walk them for three minutes, but you also had them climb stairs up and down, just using the aqualizer, and um, what did you find?
3: So what I found, and again, I'm looking at patients who already are coming in with problems, so they're coming in for answers for jaw problems. So I found that almost all the people who had uneven hip heights when we put an aqualizer in, the majority of them would correct. This was crazy important because I used to do a lot of work with podiatrists. And if I had a long leg, short leg, a lot of times we'd send the patient to the podiatrist who'd give them a lift in their shoe. The problem is if we have a descending problem coming from the head going down and they put a lift in their shoe, the lift in the shoe will now put a input that'll prevent the body from ever healing. So what I really did with the advisor was I used it to differentiate a descending problem, which is what I think most of these problems are, from an ascending problem coming from the foot going up. Um, and it's, it's so important to know this because otherwise you don't know what you're treating. And many years ago, a pain doctor told me, well, why fix somebody's head and neck pain with a TMJ appliance, because all they're going to—they're just going to have low, low back pain or gut pain afterwards. And I didn't understand the connection quite yet. I understood this guy was crazy because he thought everything was biopsychosocial. He thought his patients were nuts, so don't fix anything on it. But what was really happening is we were just moving the problem around. I treat patients with pain. If I can make the discrimination between an ascending and a descending problem before I make them the appliance, I'm not fighting the pathology in the whole body. I get to deal with a much cleaner issue. <clears throat> and then I send all those other body issues to you, Jenny, to Jenny, because you'll take <laughs> care of the PT for me. And it's like, but I, the head and neck is what I need straight, I need right. But to have a good head and neck, I have to have the hips right. Because otherwise we have abnormal curves throughout the thoracal lumbar spine.
0: Right. So because of this this exact conversation, we had this a few years ago with my team, we came and met Dr. Shapira at his Highland Park office and sat with him probably for, I think it was four hours. Yeah. And um, we decided to do a little pilot study just to get it on the map. And what we did was about 30 patients in my practice, my PT practice, I evaluate people the same way every every time i evaluate i do full body so i checked i always check iliac crest heights and for anybody that had a discrepancy one hip being higher than the other what i did was followed his lead and said okay i want you to try this aqualizer let's put it between your teeth let's go to the treadmill we took pictures before and after we went to the treadmill walked for 3 minutes and the majority of the patients, after they finished the walk, the pelvis was evened out
1: without yeah. any
0: manipulation, no manipulation. So there was a connection of disengaging the occlusion that many people has, have malocclusion. You're the dentist. But when, when people are clenched and holding on deep into their maximal intercuspation, it causes a strain pattern through the body that affects the spine and the pelvis you disengage it with this equalizer have them move freely in their body and all of that changed in the majority of patients so i i was impressed by this because I, this was new to me and I'm like, oh, it'd be nice to not have to do so much to the the whole body. If we could get, you know, something to help us like this. And I think what I really wanted, I wanted Dennis to understand this connection. Um, and Bill, Bill, because of Bill's experience in all the years of teaching TMD and Bill, I'm going to ask you a few questions about just biomechanically, what happens when (laughs) you have say you have a bite that's hitting harder on one side. You know, I do a very simple test where I put two fingers between the teeth at the molar, premolar, and I hit, oh, that side's hitting really hard. I can only pull out on one side. What happens, say the right joint or the right side of the TMJ is hitting first and harder?
2: So um, I'll back What up happens
0: the- to the body? Yeah, go at, ahead.
2: Um, at the National bioesthetic Conferences, where I was talking to Dennis about what the posture was doing. If I put a two or three millimeter lift under the right foot, I will change the body posture from the bottom all the way up. And I would end up with people with a head tilt on one side. And if you take a look at the studies and they're all listed in, op, in the Aqualizer study, if you go back and read through, for people who haven't read the study, uh, they'll see that the information is there. On those studies saying, wow, there's the ascending effect. But while I had patients in this position, I was taking a look at the EMG studies that have been done on occlusion. And if I hit on the right side first, before I hit on the left side, it fires up my right facial muscles, fires up my right sternocleidomastoid, fires up my splenius capitis and cervicis on the right side, and puts me in the same head position that I would be in if I put a lift underneath my foot. So I came to the conclusion at uh, at the conferences where I was talking to the dentist about this is saying, it could, be, it could be that it is the malocclusion that's happening in youth that are driving this head position. So when you ask me what hit happens when you hit early on the right side, as new teeth can erupt, uh, as development is occurring, this the hitting early on the right side fires up muscle in this side, puts people in this head tilt, what we call an atlas correct, an atlas problem. This may be the primary driver of changes in malocclusion, things that are happening in youth and teens, and as teeth are coming in, that are driving the head position as much as from the bottom up. So PTs always talk about the body coming up, but it could be it's all the dentistry, you know, and that what's coming in with the teeth that are
1: causing this. So oh, now eight, a, yeah, go ahead, Manda. So now, so when I see a C1 head tilt, and 80% people are head tilted. So if you were to ask Dr. Brickcott in um neuroorthal stuff, um, he would talk about a lot of them are head tilt slightly to the left. They, and, they're down and tilted. Part of it is because they have convergence issue. So the eyes, if you were to do an in and out depth, their left eye, the eyes would, nystagmus I think it's called, nystagmus, would actually have convergence issue. Uh, A lot of eyeglasses are corrected for it, but part of the head tilt is that right because they wanna see a little better and they write with the right hand, one. Number two, is that some of them breathe incorrectly, their nasal deficiency is driving the torsion and the scoliosis and the pelvis, the, being the cranium bowl and the pelvis bowl. That's why I love the idea of the aqualizer because it's going to balance them. So there's so many different drivers to this bold that we want to create them to be more parallel to the, the Earth's surface. So we have to also consider the eyes and the nasal. And if right. the nose is not breathing, we have to consider opening up that nose also as part of the sequela. The it sequela- is, it <laughs> is
2: complex to make to make the whole thing Human. <laughs> It's complex. We so, have, uh, great to have uh, yeah. and airway people and you know, to get this language that's happening between dentist and e n t and, and pulmonologists and every to, to combine these and put these in a, a symbiotic relationship that allows us to appreciate the each aspect and and comes to a common language. So we can talk to each other. So important.
0: It's so important. It's so important, Ira. You were about to say something, I think.
2: Okay, so in regards to M-
3: Martha's comment with the torquing through the body,
0: yeah,
3: like there's lots of inputs we get that are positive and negative. So we talked about the feet, but she's talking about the eyes. I work with a doctor Jeff Getzel in Evanston, who's a behavioral optometrist. Oh, he changes people's head positions, and he changes their posture by changing how they pull the world into their brain. Mm-hmm. I lectured to their conference because I always thought it was input to the brain, but it's actually people reach out with their brain to grab the vision. And when I became editor, I was having trouble working on all the time with the computer. And I got a new set of glasses made for, fu- for the function. And all of a sudden I went outside one day and looked at the clouds and I saw the clouds in 3D for the first time. Oh. The other thing with the torque, though, is when Jenny when Jenny and I set up this, this experiment with the aqualizer, first off, we wanted Jenny to do it because she's a physical therapist. Right. The dentist does it. Nobody cares about it because they're saying, oh, he's just trying to prove his stuff is right. So Jenny actually took her same exam she always does. Mm-hmm. She didn't alter her exam, Not at all. maybe the order she did it in. And if somebody had uneven hip heights at the iliac crest as she measures them, she would automatically do just a single intervention at that point of time so that we had a pure study with only one variable. Uh, Funny thing about the aqualizer, it it works three-dimensionally, not more so. So when I have patients who have twisted heads or decks or hot SCMs, if their legs have equalized after going up and down steps, usually in my office, we do a second study. I will put my hands to the front of the hip bone. And if one is forward and one is back,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that
3: means they have a twist in their spine. And I don't know where it is because it's constantly changing. Everything we measure is in a moment in time. But if I if have standing with their feet together, I put my feet on either side of their feet and then I move their hip up and back like this, a lot of times those twists will go away. And with it, so does the turned head or the tipped head or the high shoulder and the low shoulder. And then I tell people to go home and dance, do the twist with their significant other to <laughs> hold the aqualizer in because it lets us see. But that's a second dimension. And we didn't wanna start with that in the study, mm-hmm. We wanted just one variable. And the one variable was if they had uneven hips to put the appliance in yeah. and to see what happens.
0: Yeah. And I will tell you, I don't know if anybody can see this, but this this is the aqualizer. I think that it was brilliant what what can everybody see this? It's this yeah. little thing. It's yeah. just a little motion. Yep. There we go. So that goes right between the teeth like that. And it fits right under the lips. And, you know, Bill, Bill is, he's married to a lovely woman who is an amazing editor, by the way. Thank you. Um, What's your wife's name again? I'm forgetting. Maureen. (laughs) Maureen. Maureen. Thank you, Maureen. Um, We want to do more, right? Because Ira has, has... uh, I think Bill you've always seen this change in occlusion from a, from the floor up. I I'm always checking are the is the bite even. I'm always correcting atlases, right? And Mariano Racabato, my mentor is always seen if there is a rotation of atlas. So if if think of my head and the atlas being like the airplane wings, if you have a a right rotation of atlas that left hand, you don't see my hand up, is coming forward and up. And that actually changes and alters the position of the mandible. Um, because of the, the the location of the atlas, the transverse process is right, right under the ear and behind the mandible. So if there's a twist there, it's going to shift that mandible just a little bit. So Ira, Ira was so, I love how he got me to do this because I, you know, we're all busy and I told him, I said, Ira, I would like to help you, but I'm very busy, but it was one variable. Is it uneven? Yes, okay, I'm going to do my assessment the same way. I do the full body. Let's do this little aqualizer thing and boom, the majority of the patients balanced out. Now, Bill and I, because we're, We're TMD specialized and we understand the upper cervical spine a lot. We wanted to do a bunch more in our next study and in future studies, but baby steps when it comes to variables, because it complicates things. (laughs) It complicates And, and you don't want your study to get, you know, pushed out so that it's not valid or, you know, so Bill, can you, shed some light around. I know we started with something new and we're we're going to start a project with the palm, which is a device that kind of is already vetted in the research that it's valid and reliable that measures iliac crest heights. Because we wanted to be more specific on that. Um Bill, can you explain a little bit about what we want to do and what future like in an ideal world where we had a a full team of researchers and a lot of money, what would be an ideal um, study to connect this connection of the occlusion descending, ascending problems?
2: Okay. Well, um, I think one of the things we were wondering about when was, um, we saw the changes occurring at the iliac crest, but it was done manually and not done from a standpoint where you had a study that had been done scientifically. Is there a tool? Is there a tool that's been used and verified by X-ray, standing x-ray, to actually qual- quantify and qualify? what's happening at these iliac crest heights. So that's the PALM device. So there's actually a device that's been done through studies and verified back with x-rays to show that this device can measure that iliac crest height. So we need to confirm and remove any subject bias, Jenny, on are we really seeing this? (laughs) Or are are we really seeing this? We want to see this, but we have to remove that. Plus we have to determine whether or not that um, iliac crest height is elevated by trochanter height. So we have to do some really functional, structural, scientific proven way to figure out is that iliac crest height elevated by trochanter height. So getting that measured and not using an x-ray, but using a technique that's been done on x-ray. So, and I would say we have to have patients come in with an um without an aqualizer in walk on the treadmill for three minutes and see whether their hips equalize so we have to start removing a lot of these uh, some of the variables that were present yeah because
0: we didn't have a control group that's we right we
2: have that and so we're going to be doing a lot of control group yeah that, yeah those are my recommendations and and what i had sent jenny and my thoughts for the study is Let's remove all the variables, all the questions that when I've read research studies, I go, why didn't they take that out? But at the same time, I wanted to add 10,000 things, which Jenny, you said,
0: I got nervous too
2: much, too much. So keep it simple. Follow Ivory your, your recommendation to add a couple of things in may have about 10 studies, but it's
0: no, a, I think we're going right. to do little baby steps. But I, the, the the images we wanted to take, and we were thinking of using the posture screen app where we oh, yeah. take it's, pictures it's, it's of
2: too complex. Yeah, right
0: now I think it is just because of time. But um, what I wanted to, to say, in a perfect world, the 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 pictures of not just what what we were taking was more me measuring the iliac crest heights we're going to have the palm but the the facial pictures and the full body pictures and the eyes and creating like the the level of the eye and if the eye and the level of the occlusion changed at all which i think would also be a very interesting um, part of it
2: i would think that in younger teens what what happened with me as i worked with teens uh, is that we were able to level out eye and lip position uh, by altering? Yes, yeah. uh, I think that if you remove the occlusion, uh, if if you remove the occlusal interface that are driving too much EMG activity in on one side of the head and firing that SEM and putting them in, in this head position, we can. If they they may be the patient may be non-plastic. So you might take a 13-year-old, stick an aqualizer in their mouth that has this head tilt, and if they're plastic, they'll straighten up. But unfortunately, so many of us, especially anybody in the 20s or 30s or whatever, get older, we've been in this position for so long, you don't come out of it. Those patients need atlas correction. Those patients need soft tissue work those patients need to be restored to normal length to their tissue. So and I bet they'd square right up. Yeah. So, so you got different pop, you got different population by age. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So Mal, I think it's Malfowski who did all these studies 30 years ago on head position in three dimensions. And he had and all this research is there uh, talking about looking at people, whether they're plastic or non-plastic. And he did some really nice work. So the research is all there. All the way from scoliosis studies showing they have a large degree of malocclusions. Mal- yeah. And all the research is there, just taking all the pieces and putting them together.
0: Well, that's just another, another reason why physical therapy is so needed in this field, right? Like physical therapy and more PTs that kind of understand there's a connection here. Um, and more dentists having relationships with PTs so that they can work together as a team because we're not as class, you know, we're our, our tissues are not as pliable as we get older and we need help. We need dry needling. We need manual therapy. We need someone that understands how to restore proper rib cage position and rib, you know, asymmetries and, and that type of thing. So, um, I just loved this. I loved how simple it was, Ira. I think this was just a genius way to show people, and I, I, I really am. Um, I'm wanting to continue um, this journey with whoever wants to join me because I need help. <laughs> um, I'd,
2: I'd, I'd have one more. I yeah. The primary thing, Ira, which I think you really pointed out in this, and you're very much aware of, is the fact that if there are things occurring up here descending into low back, altering altering the pelvis and what's happening in the lumbar spine, which is a major, major, major cost in the US, how many patients, Jenny, do do you have them come in and you have to keep fixing an upslip or a downslip or a pelvic rotation. I think, I think so much of this is being driven by the occlusion. Yeah. And when we, when you stick an aqualizer in a person's mouth and 70%, it was about 75% of them level out. That a light bulb's gotta go off. And if so, you're a
0: PT that sees a lot of back and like you. That's just keep... right. And you
2: fix them and you fix them and you fix them and their pelvis won't stay stable. And you send them in for prolotherapy and everything else to try and stabilize his pelvis. And they don't know it's coming from the,
1: it's coming from the T. Dr. Schafer.
2: needs to go said, so There's a connection here that is so expensive to the United States and all the back patients, perpetuation of all these problems going on. And they say, hey. I gotta
3: look above the neck. So I sent a copy of your article, Jenny and Bill's article to the head at the, to the NIH, the head of orthopedics, because billions of the two most expensive, biggest expenses for the Medicare is back pain and headache pain. And if they're connected, not because people are crazy, but because they have physical issues that need to be corrected, then the NIH and the orthopedic department should be excited to look at them. I sent them the article. I also sent them my editorial from the same journal talking about the whole body connections. And I was like hoping to see the orthopedic community say, yes, this is important. I haven't yeah. seen that response. I sent yeah. it to Jeff Okison at University of Kentucky. Yeah. Because for years he said, show me some proof and I'll go and investigate these things. And it was Jenny's article I sent him saying, this is what's going on. We can change the whole body by changing the mouth. And it's a temporary change, so there's no permanent changes. And saying, yes, maybe we really need to investigate correction of structure with the jaws. And Jeff Okison always told me, if you see it, boy, we'll go and investigate it. But he wasn't really interested in investigating it because they're really kind of stuck on the biopsychosocial. Yeah. Much easier to administer psychological test questionnaires. And do we need five questions or 10 questions or 20 questions? And then they just keep asking different questions and they don't even talk to the patients. They don't necessarily have to do treatment. They sometimes never see the patient face-to-face, they just happen to fill out paper questionnaires, and then they make decisions on how the best way is to treat them. And it's unfortunate because the modalities of physical therapy, the modalities of dentistry, the modalities of massage, the modalities of proper breathing all make effects. And so many people suffer because nobody pays attention. Um, Of course, everybody can be guilty of that because when I first learned about the DNA appliance and epigenetic orthopedics that Dr. Singh did, and I heard him talk, and I'd been a dentist for a long time, so I knew what he said was impossible. And then I heard him talk a second time, but I already knew it was impossible, so I didn't pay good attention. And then one day I get a call from Martha Cortez and says, Okay, you really got to come here and see this stuff because this is amazing and it really <laughs> works. And there's only about two or three people in the world who could have made that call to me and get me to go to New York for a long weekend and do three weekends worth of work all at one time with Dr. Singh and Dr. Park, and it was like. But it was it was. Sometimes you have to get over your disbelief. Yeah. To be able. So, to,
2: are you aware of the fact that? Uh... Are you aware of the fact I took the, uh, Jeff Focuson's one week mini mini dental residency for TMD? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was, and uh, I'll just let you know that, and I'll send this information to you in my write up on my experience there. But we we got a one hour presentation by a physical therapist during that week on treating TMD. And two days from a clinical psychiatrist on how to have the patient oh my God. help the patient how to handle their pain. Two oh. days by a clinical psychiatrist <laughs> with breathing exercises and pain management and one hour by a physical therapist. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. That's like, put your money where your mouth is or, or what you really believe. So uh, so yeah I'll send I, that up, and I'll <laughs> set my write up on that on on to you okay
1: and and unfortunately I I go to a tremendous amount of conferences and meetings and it's always disappointing to hear some of the thoughts about TMD and it's always a more biopsychological, the social their class and I'm like unbelievable but you know what once the belief factor, once you have, have you questioned? Have you thought of? They're like, no, I said, well, you should do this and this. And little by little, it'll, there there isn't a momentum, but there's little by little that people are realizing. And the more the medical medication, the social therapy is done, the more people are realizing, well, maybe there's a little more mechanics here because that's not working. Right. Right. It's not working. They're not really psychologically impaired.
3: Well, they may be psychologically impaired if they've been of in pain. pain for a long
1: time. It's a long-term pain. And I've, I've, uh, some people, I've had to actually pinch them because they're like, you know, well, I don't know if she really hurts that much. Is it? And I just grab their arm and I pinch really hard. And they look at that and I pinch them again and then pinch them again. they go, what are you doing? I said, I'm I'm making pain on you. And that's just a little pain because it's just a pinch. They go, why? I said, because it's something that will be nagging pain all the time. I said, and the pinch in the arm is not that bad. They have, they have, um, you can feel knives sometimes. You can feel the bone creeping and then a knife. And they're like, come on. I said, no, it's real.
4: But anyway, and wow.
1: if
3: you're in constant pain, you will become depressed.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I
3: actually talked to my patients and I'll take a pen with the cover on it and I'll stick it into their thigh. And I said, if I stuck a knife in your thigh and started twisting it, how long would it take for you to become depressed? And it's like instantly. Yeah. But now we have people who've lived in pain for a year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, mm-hmm. And it's like, and we expect them not to be depressed.
0: Right.
3: I mean, of course, people who've been in chronic pain are depressed, but that doesn't mean that the cause of the depression is because they're crazy, they're depressed. Sometimes it means they're depressed because they are in chronic pain.
0: Yeah,
1: constant. Yeah, And they get very quiet. The worst ones are very quiet because they can barely move like, they're afraid to move sometimes, very, very, they suffer so quietly. Okay.
0: Well, um, we're going to have to wrap it up soon. I, I love talking about all this um, and it, it, I feel like we could talk forever. <laughs> so it's so interesting. And um, we're all little TMJ anatomy uh, nerds a little bit, but um, the cool thing I was going to tell you, Ira, I sp- and, and Martha, I might try to get this as a podcast too. Um, I spoke with Dr. Sandra Kahn. I know you might know her. Okay. Um, she she wrote the book, Jaws. She's been working with this Dr. Wil, Wilfred Engelke, who okay. is this German ENT, lovely man, very kind, speaks Spanish. He happens to be in Chile. I'm trying to connect him with Mariano. Um He has created a device called the vacuum activator. It's this little device that has a little suction thing that you create the proper oral posture by sucking and swallowing three times, measuring the pressure and reducing it from say 200 millibar to 20. It's a little device for sleep apnea, for snorers. And in Germany, whoever has this problem The German government gives them this as a part of their, you know, how they take care of their people, which is very interesting. But I told them there's a whole appliance part to to this, you know, work. He's an ENT, but he works with appliances. And he says, after they've learned the up, they call it the uplock maneuver, where there's no gaps above the tongue. Appliance. Think of that. No gaps above the tongue back here is a big, important part.
2: Absolutely.
0: So that's what this does. And then they create an upper and lower appliance. And he goes, and I said, but I've done this research on this aqualizer. And I said, it, it Pasquale's theory and it balances. He goes, that would be amazing. Before they set the occlusion, I said, yes. <laughs> yes. And he's like, and he has a team of people. So he's like, I'm, I, I'm, I know the aqualizer. And sometimes you, you learn about things and then you forget about them, or that's like years ago, or you've heard about it and then you forget. So I'm, I would love, I, I, I'm, Ira, I'll invite you to that. Like if you want, I to, would be. want
3: to come, the Germans yeah. are sometimes amazing. Yeah. There was actually a study done with the aqualizer in Germany. where they put an aqualizer in a jockey's mouth and then the horse would run and move with with the jockey better balance on top of the horse and it would improve the gait and balance of the horse horse? running because the rider was balanced oh my god and it's and it's it's very funny and I do neuromuscular dentistry like uh, Martha does, but several years ago, I got a email from a patient and she said, I never knew they did neuromuscular dentistry on a horse. (laughs) And she was an equine neuromuscular dentist (laughs) and they were balancing bites for horses that do things like barrel, barrel racing and stuff where they have to make, and they'd have better balance and better speed because of how they'd adjust their teeth versus standard way of just filing everything.
1: Filing them down. Right. And
3: it's like, because people thought, Oh, it doesn't matter. And it's wow. and neuromuscular dentistry sometimes runs into battles, but we actually had the equine neuromuscular group come to our meeting okay. and, uh, the ICMO meeting that was I'm trying to remember what city it was in, but it was like they were they were amazing. They're seeing the same thing in horses that we were seeing in humans.
0: Wow. That is so cool.
3: I have told many people about with horses that this is something they should look at. Yeah. A lot of times horses will go lame and it's like, but we don't always understand. And it's like, but the fact that the horse changes based on who, the better balance of the person on top of them is kind of mind boggling
1: And that's we are I, known to be one. The
0: jockey and the horse is known to be one. Wow. I, I just love this and I, I hope that this 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 um podcast really gets people thinking and gets more more people interested in learning the connection of the occlusion and the rest of the body and know that we're going to be doing more if Bill continues to want to be involved, I hope. Um, and Ira, I just appreciate all that you're, all that you do. Um, you're so um, passionate about it. And you're just, thank goodness you're here in Chicago with me because not many people understand this, by the way. <laughs> so, and Martha, I know you do. I know you do. And I, I, we have a connection another way, but I wish you were right next to me too. <laughs> so, um <laughs> and Bill thank you so much for all of your work and listen everybody we're going to be we're going to continue the conversation we do this every two weeks um and we are going to be interviewing um hopefully hopefully if you would and Martha you had someone else did you have someone else you wanted to do next yes. time yes yes okay One what was a,
1: my a therapist who actually has an app to help the rest of us
0: Okay, so we're going to be interviewing a myofunctional therapist that hasn't app. Ha- She's a speech pathologist.
1: She's a SLP.
0: Yes. Oh. And what's her name? I know
1: her as Laura. <laughs> okay, don't worry.
0: Stay tuned. Next, next, uh, next time we meet in two weeks, we're going to be doing another interview with a lovely a myofunctional therapist in their app. So thank you, everybody, for your listening. Um, Ira, uh, Bill, and my lovely partner Martha, and Renata, the Airway Circle founder and lovely um, president and CEO. I'm so happy to have this. Doctor Hobson. Yeah. Hi, this is Anne. I know oh. Renata, I don't think she's available right now, but um, we do have some questions.
4: If there's no time, can we put them in the Facebook group and maybe you can take a look at them? Sure. Time? Okay. I was about to ask them. I am here, Anne. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Renata. <laughs> uh, but my child is creamy in the background because I turned
0: the water off in the bath. I don't mind you going. Uh, if if you want, I just have to go. I become a mom. Okay. Like right now I have to go, but I, I can... We'll do them next time or you guys fine. can answer them another time? I will, be
3: happy, I will be happy to stay for some questions. Yeah, so well, if
0: that's okay, um I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna head out, but um I'm here I, for a little bit. Bill yeah. is there, he's a wealth of knowledge. Um Renata, do you need me to keep the computer on? Nope, not at all. You can okay. hang up, the post so okay. you won't hang
4: up. All right. All right. First Thank you. Bye Thank oh, you. Goodbye, so yeah. Uh, right. First question Is the equalizer only available through a participating dental office?
3: It is actually available for retail purchase oh, through a sorry. company called Dental Depot. Uh, in fact, when I have people who come and buy it in my office, I always write it down for them because that's the only place you can buy it other than from a dentist. And if you're gonna go through a bunch of them, it's cheaper to buy it from Dental Depot than from a dentist. Um, Having said that, it's very good to have a dentist who knows what they're doing with it because it's not a cure. I think of it as a diagnostic device. Um, I use it for all sorts of things. If somebody comes in with a dislocated jaw and we reduce the dislocation, we use it as just a very temporary appliance to let the muscles relax. So that the, because if they just close back to their original pathology, they're just gonna lock up again. So it's like, I use it when I have somebody who goes from the nuclear or Atlas orthogonal chiropractor and gets adjusted. A lot of times they're 20 minutes away from my office and by the time they get to my office, they've lost the adjustment the first time or the second time they swallowed. So now it's like, I have the doctors I work with often have them so that they can put them in the patient's mouth. So if I'm working on an appliance and they're correcting the net, we can get both of them in sync.
4: I love it. Next question. What can we do with pediatrics or four years old with a class three occlusion?
3: I have it easy because Kevin Boyd is in Chicago. So every single adult patient I have with a TMJ disorder, or a sleep disorder, I tell them it's an epigenetic issue. It's not genetic, it's epigenetic, but it can be passed on for two to three generations. And therefore, if you have this problem, the younger your kids are when you get them to somebody to fix it, the better it is. Uh, I got involved originally in working with these problems because I had a five-year-old son who had big tonsils and adenoids he had him at three and for two years i took him regularly to the pediatrician telling him he wasn't sleeping good and nobody paid attention when he was five he was ready to start kindergarten and he was evaluated by the school and they said he has add adhd and they wanted to put him on ritalin for the rest of his life and i just thought are you people crazy and i took him to rush and i had a sleep ex- i had a sleep test done and it turned out Rush was the place to go because Dr. Oz Cartwright was in charge and turned out he had severe sleep apnea. We took out tonsils and adenoids and at five years old, I cut a tongue tie and a lip tie and we widened his mouth orthopedically. And this child who they said couldn't start school without being on Ritalin for the rest of his life, graduated college, double major, double minor, magnum laude and got a master's in business as well. And it turned out his drug of choice was not Ritalin. It was oxygen. He needed to- um, breathe.
4: can we quote that, Ann? I love it.
3: <laughs> it's like, I think what with the myofunctional wow. therapists are catching the tongue ties. It's amazing in this country, every single OB should be evaluating the newborn babies for tongue ties. They don't do it. In Brazil, every newborn child is evaluated at birth to see if they have a tongue
1: tie. But It's required by law.
3: It's required by law. Why? Because in Brazil, they speak Portuguese. And if you have a tongue tie, you can't speak Portuguese. And the oral myofunctional therapists are under, it's a, it's a subspecialty of speech pathology. So it's like, they're way ahead of us
0: yeah. in Brazil
3: because you have to be able to roll your Rs.
0: <laughs> you don't have to roll I can do our...
4: it Brazil. <laughs> but um yeah, Zoberta Martinelli has actually spoken for us. I hope you guys can all hear Benny. Oh my yeah. lord. Next question. Can the equalizer be used with Holly style retainers?
3: It it whoops, did we just get disconnected? It
2: appears maybe
4: her daughter. Uh, So you guys are going to just turn my camera off so I can get him off the bath. I'm listening.
3: Okay. So yes, it can be. If there's a sharp edge on the holly retainer, it can pop the aqualizer. I I find the aqualizer is not very good for nighttime bruxism appliances because if people are clenching, they're going to pop them 20 minutes in. I have patients who can wear one aqualizer for six months. And I have patients where the aqualizer doesn't last six minutes because they clench so hard. It's like, so it's a tool. And when I put an aqualizer in a patient's mouth and if five minutes later they've popped it, I don't tell them they're a grinder, they're a clencher. And people who grind their teeth are different than people who clench. It's not the same disorder.
1: That's a good way of differentiating a clencher from a grinder.
3: I always have my patients just put their fingers on their masseters and I say, bite hard. And they right. get this big muscle. And I say, are you that buff anywhere else in your body?
1: <laughs> course,
3: nobody the clenchers just, I just think, I always think of John McCain, Senator John McCain, and you'd watch him clench and his whole masseter would jump out. All the uh, clenchers have big masseters. Uh, Ira, huge.
1: Do,
2: do you monitor? do you monitor uh pts have you know we all have good hands i guess so one of the things i do with the occlusal contacts is i i put my hands on both masseters when they when they close and you can usually tell which side they're hitting on early because that side will pop out first so yes. i've used that for i use that for years as my saying okay have we have do we have a occlusal discrepancy here because the masseter will bang bang
3: so and off, we you will actually measure in neuromuscular dentistry. Martha does this as well with an EMG. Oh, no. You can well, forgetting getting the masseter, you can measure within a microsecond of first contact, right? Because the okay. muscles will fire first, and yeah. yeah. different patterns based on where the first contact is. And they actually experimentally added high spots, a hundredth of a hundredth of a millimeter, how tall? and then they could. They did a study just to give patterns. It doesn't tell you all the answers, but it tells you where to look. Right. And Martha's smiling because she, she's looked at all these patterns. I don't know, do you <laughs> use EMGs when you adjust still? So I, I used to do an EMG. I, I slow
1: down ahead. the EMGs when I adjust. I just use the, the I use the myotronic, the, uh, the ultra tense. Um, uh, I don't just, use EMG as much anymore for those things. Um, the uh, ultra tense is very good because you have the neuro ca- causing the bite and any avoidance of the brain is no longer an issue.
3: Right, so I I still adjust all my neuromuscular patients equilibrating wax and turning up the low frequency tens till the teeth hit and you can see first contact. Um, when I have a, if I have a full mouth reconstruction, then I use the EMG to evaluate it. But I don't do very many full mouth reconstructions for TMJ disorders anymore. Right now, I'm more likely to grow them bigger airways because almost a all the EMG patients have small airways, and we're worried about that. Plus, an awful lot of them, as we said, eighty percent of them are women, and that's re- a lot of it's related to being pregnant. When a woman becomes pregnant, she gradually becomes pregnant over nine months, has all sorts of postural changes. And at the end of her pregnancy, she's no longer able to use diaphragm breathing at all.
1: Not the same way. And no, then no. There's,
3: there's no space until the baby drops, it's gone and they lose it. And if somebody, if, if somebody doesn't teach them how to properly breathe again, and nobody's ever done this research, but I think a major cause of postpartum depression is that women haven't gone back to their original breathing patterns.
1: You are right. I don't
3: know how to do diaphragm breathing.
1: No, and a lot of them stay sleep apneic.
3: And a lot of them stay sleep apneic. All women
1: in pregnancy are sleep apneic now. It's just a matter of whether they are mild. They're not mild, they're moderate to severe. And some of them are severe. They can't even breathe. And they're about to, but though it's okay, you're about to bring the baby in. You don't have to worry about the severe apnea anymore. You don't even need a CPAP because you're due in two weeks. Meantime, they finally gave them a sleep study. They're severe apneic. And they stay like that till the next baby.
3: All right. Plus, if they're doing that, they have their cortisol levels are out of this world. world. I don't know if anybody's ever looked at what happens when the cortisol levels of the mother are sky high. Um, during the last month of pregnancy, especially. It's it's definitely important.
1: It's not simple because they stay sort of sleep apneic, then they get pregnant again. Now the second child is going to be more hurt, more tongue-tied, more spectrum-ish because that sleep apnea never went, never went away and they be, became, again, diaphragmatic issues, intermittent hypoxia constantly. And then now the new baby, the new infant, no, the neonatal now also has horrible intermittent hypoxia. So now we have spectrum forming.
3: And Uh, mom has pain. And mom has pain.
1: And dealing uh, with a
3: newborn baby when she has pain. And I don't know if you've heard this. I read this article. I can't remember where now, but the very first time a woman becomes pregnant, even if she doesn't carry the baby to term, her right. brain changes in the first few months of pregnancy and she starts to have awake brain waves in her delta sleep.
1: Right. That's right.
3: The and Delta's- that's so, and what happens if, if we want to put a purpose to it? the purpose is so when the baby cries, yeah. mom can hear them because dad is kind of worthless as hearing babies cry in the middle of the night. But what that really is, is alpha intrusion into delta sleep mm-hmm. and the sleep marker for fibromyalgia is alpha intrusion into delta sleep, and every woman who's ever been pregnant has it by default, because that's why they hear their baby cry.
0: Hmm.
1: True. Very good. Excellent. Well, any more questions?
4: Uh, we had a couple more, and I wanted to ask something, but this little boy is not feeling good. He has the flu. <laughs> Hi.
2: Hi there. How you doing, guy?
4: No, that's Benny. He just wants me right now. I had a great question, but I can't answer. I mean, I can't uh, I cannot ask. Uh, last one, the patients burst the equalizers often?
3: The clenchers Excellent. will burst them often. So I have people who buy them and they'll use the same one for six months, but the people who wanna clench and go really hard biting, the equalizer is not a good appliance for long-term but I tell them to put it in their mouth and use it to remind them not to clench. So people used to tie a, a string around their finger to remember something, and I really specifically tell them with the aqualizers, you're not supposed to clench. And if they have it in their mouth for three minutes, look, three minutes and pop it, now you know they're not even aware
2: that they're clenching. Oh, yeah, poor little guy. Um, there was one more uh, thing on Brexing. How do you identify a bruxer? Thank you, Bill. In in the question thing, you know, I think that uh, I remember. Would I be correct and Martha, I would be correct that bruxing includes both clenching and grinding, side to side movement? So it's both up and down and side to side. I don't I don't. That's not how I classify it. I classify it
3: differently. So yeah. Okay. I classify the clenchers very different. But the clenching often occurs right after somebody awakes from a sleep apnea episode. Uh And so there's a lot of belief, though I don't know if if, if it's proven yet, that when people wake up from apnea, they clench because it opens up their airway. Right. Whereas bruxism is a grinding movement, and it's usually not a lot of force. But then the worst of them all are the people who clench and then grind, and those are the people who fracture teeth. Because if you clench, you don't fracture teeth. If you grind, you don't fracture teeth. But if you clench and grind, the amount of forces that you're putting are just tremendous. They're going to do damage. And we can see those patients on our radiographs because they have widened PDLs. It looks like somebody took their tooth and was doing this to it. If you stick a uh, stick in the dirt and you start to wiggle it around, you get this big widened area around it. And that's what happens to the bone around the clincher grinders.
2: Right. So what, what I've seen is those are the people that the PTs call that shear force. It's the side-to-side movement that breaks things off. That's a shear force of a wind will break a tree off at ground level. A shear force on your teeth. It's connection, twist, and as I said, it fractures the teeth. And would you say toride? And tori, which is an extra deposition, along to hold that tooth in the ground, would you say tori would also be a, a good sign that you've got somebody who is that clencher grinder, trying to anchor those teeth in the in the I, I an think so. I I think people
3: have a genetic predisposition to tori. Some people tori mm-hmm. it only
2: shows itself if they're clencher grinders. Right. Because that grabs that tooth and the mandible goes, I'm not going to let that tooth be pulled out of the, out of the mandible. Right. So they put an extra bone that deposition. Yes. I think they're trying yes. to prevent the jaw from breaking.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 right. It's, no, no. He has a point. The tori is really a formation where there's too much, too much pressure into the actual jaw and you actually right. find it there. You also find it when the teeth are off. And they're clenching more on one tooth first contact, and the other one you'll find the exostosis on one on the top and on the bottom a horrible tori. Mm-hmm. But I take tori, especially big ones, which usually have a tongue tie of grade three, and I actually remove the tori. And if they are a sixty apnea, I will drop them to thirty. So mm-hmm. a tori is really interesting if you use a piezo, preferably, to cut them right out. Cut down the AHI, and then after that, you do the tongue, and you just cut down the actual AHI to a twelfth, and then you just finish it off with continue the expansion. So you just went da 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 da. So I like tori, but the mm-hmm. smaller tori, um, actually, you you got to make that's your apneic. You got to get get started on expanding them and making sure they do everything, um, including that tongue tie. There's a lot so of bio, bio
0: for the functional
1: therapy. You need to, and a PT is so important. Yes, sir. If
2: you want to go yeah. beyond the T, yes, and move down to the other parts of the body. The Achilles tendonitis. Achilles tendonitis. Oh. Go yeah. so go down to Achilles tendonitis, and what you'll see is a large deposition of extra calcium and bone to hold the tendon. And so, a lot of people come in with heel spurs. Uh, Says so your dentist, you may not know this, but a lot of people that come in with heel spurs and short calf muscles and they're trying to pull the, ca- the tendon right off the back of the, of the calcaneus. Those patients will put down extra bone deposition, have these big heel spurs, which I equate to tori, where they're trying to decrease the ability of the bodies to pull the tendon off of the calcaneus. And I, and I I equate that a little bit to the tori where I you're locking that tooth and twisting it and the body's going. So the body does it, not only in the facial area, but so also in other walkers. parts of the body so as well.
1: Talking, so you're talking about the little kid toe walkers? Always tongue-tied.
2: No, I'm talking about all the people who come no, in no. that have Achilles yeah, tendonitis and think calcium about deposits
1: now. with short calf muscles. <laughs> but it's calf muscles, where did it start? Was it a toe walking? Was it the tongue tie?
2: They have the torn. No, I'm just good. Yeah, yeah. You're uh, don't know me, about I, I wouldn't equate that with Achilles tendonitis. I think uh, anybody with a short calf. that. Of course, course you I- can use uh, women in high heels, but normally it's not re- equated to that. But I just thought it was an interesting watch for the body to physiologically deal with too much strain occurring to a tissue into its attachment. And whether it's a tooth or a tendon or anything else, I think, I think there's a, the body is the body in it. I don't care if it's your tooth or, or your Achilles tendon.
1: We're gonna take that at another, we're gonna bring that up again because we have the cervical also changing its calcium depositions because of the different way it carry itself. So we're going to carry, I'm going to bring this subject up. We're going to bring this group together and have another discussion. Because right. the- That's
2: fine. Because you're talking about, you're talking about facet loading, the body's deposition of extra bone tissue, wherever to deal with stress. Right. Yeah. We see it as cervical PTs. You know, we're looking at, a, we're looking at a extra bone deposition. We're looking at anterior spurs that happen in the anterior cervical spine with changes in head and neck position. So all all those things are happening uh, in a lot of the places. Wolf's Law, right, Ira? What's
4: that? Wolf's Law?
2: Wolf's Law, Wolf's Law yes. The Wolf's Law, you bet. And you don't think it's all just biopsychosocial, huh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I,
4: I'm
2: going to send, I'm gonna, I'll send you guys uh, my whole section on biopsychosocial. It, it drives me absolutely insane because, uh, as I said, uh, 90% of my patients, we're 90% better within four to six weeks. And uh, it, it's just, you. but first you have to be a PT. You have to be a provocation therapist and know how to assess the system so you can determine what structure is at all. Then, then you can plan appropriate treatment. Yeah, real important.
4: Yeah. All right, I have a last question before we go. Good night. Oh, she has to, you have to go, Dr. Okay, really quickly. Right here, I'm checking my masseters. I always, whenever I buy, can you guys hear me? Whenever I bite down, the right side always comes out further. And I check that on my patients whenever they're chewing. So I tell them, okay, chew on this side, side and feel your masseters. Chew on this side and feel your masseters. It doesn't matter where I'm chewing. Even if I'm chewing on the side first, the right side always comes out first. Is there a reason?
3: Well, I'm going to tell you, first off, If I saw you doing this with your chin when you were in a consult, I'd be slapping your wrist every time you did it and say, you're pushing your jaw up and back. But the second thing I'm going to say, we were talking about growing bigger airways. So you have a very small underdeveloped maxilla. When you smile, you have the big dark buccal vestibules on each side you've got a little bit of vertical maxillary excess. And and in spite of being a myofunctional therapist, you sometimes show us a deviant swallow. And I would say, I wanna put you in a DNA appliance and grow your maxilla bigger so that you have a great big, broad smile. Like I always think of Julia Roberts as having that great big giant smile. But if I look at your jaw on your right side, it's narrower than on your left. Look in the screen right now and smile big when you're there and you will see that on your right side, you got a bigger dark and you have more exposure of teeth on your left. Yes. Of course that has an effect. How can we quantify the effect? That's harder to do, but that was your deviant swallow again and you know how to swallow, but it's like all of a sudden it happens. And I, I tell this to people all the time because I want to send them to a myofunctional therapist and they don't want right. to go. And they say, well, I swallow, right? And then we catch them doing it again and again and again. And it's like, but th- that very, very narrow maxilla
4: mm-hmm.
3: means the roof of the mouth and the floor of the nose is the same bone. Yes. is narrow, both are narrow. It almost wow. looks like you have a little bit of rotation to your maxilla.
4: I do. That's I have right. a cant.
3: And you have a bit of a cant, and it's like, just like Martha had to convince me to take, to start doing the DNA appliances. I needed somebody to kick me. It's like the chirodontics where they do the cranial work and move the jaw.
4: Let me see. Uh,
3: that was totally impossible. <laughs> and then I started seeing people doing it. And when people do it, it kind of messes with you because it's like,
4: yeah. they're doing
3: something impossible.
4: Well, I said. Choices:
2: you figure it out, or you, or you ignore it.
4: No, I said this year is going to be the year to take care of me. I have an appointment on the thirtieth.
2: Well, let me know when you want the PT input.
4: (laughs) All right, I'm actually going to go see. uh, You have
2: a you left. You have a left atlas rotation. You have a left atlas rotation. It's going to elevate your occlusion on the right from below and your temple bone is low on the right side. Your head is in a right tilt like this. You're going to decrease your occlusion. You're going to bring your temple bone and maxillary teeth down on the right side by that head position. At the same time, from an ascending influence, you're going to push the occlusion up from the bottom, which is going to bring your teeth together. So next, so if you look in a mirror, see your IRA, her right ear is lower, left ear is up. Yeah, she's got a, she's got, got a upper, she's got an upper cervical problem. You have an atlas rotation to the left, which elevates your occlusion from below, from the low up. It pushes your mandibular teeth up, and your fossa of your temple bone and your maxillary teeth are brought down. So you're going to come together on the right side. Every time, every time you touch. It's gonna drive your right neck and Irish, she's gonna have an elevated ilium on the right side.
3: (laughs) Aren't you glad you asked that question, Renata?
4: (laughs) Oh, a hundred percent. Are you kidding me? This is why I decided to start Area Circle because I wanna know.
3: There you go.
4: This is amazing. I mean, if I'm not, you know, living as an example for everybody to learn, my lord. No, okay, so crazy. Then we'll
3: talk about the next thing because the reason you always want to hold your head up like this <laughs> is because you've got a forward head posture because of your small airway yeah. and keeping your fingers under your chin kind of helps you correct your posture. And you're not actually putting all the weight of your chin on it. You're just holding them there and yeah. you develop the habit yeah. that helps correct your posture.
4: 100%. But if you were a
3: teenage girl, you'd have acne all over your chin.
4: Oh, it was so bad. I, and I have scoliosis. I have a um, little bit of kyphosis. I have a little bit of lordosis. I have a little bit of everything, but scoliosis is the worst one.
3: And that, um, if you, if you have scoliosis and you have a deviated swallow and you have a small airway, get an aqualizer, go to your local physical therapist and have them evaluate you starting with your Elliott crest height, you don't have to go to Trochanter from my point, but if you want to talk to Bill and he'll tell you more, <laughs> I still don't know how to measure the Trochanter length height, but, and check and see if walking around in the aqualizer corrects your hip height. Okay. Because if it does correct your hip height, since your leg lengths don't change, the Trochanter stays the same, what changes is the curvatures in the back Mm curvatures in the back are what are called scoliosis. Mm -hmm. And they're not two-dimensional, they're three-dimensional. It can be right to left, front to back, and rotational. Think about the spine like being a corkscrew. And that's what we're trying to unravel when we treat every single patient. And I'm so glad there are people like, like you here who are working to correct these things early because I wasn't corrected early. You weren't corrected early. Bill wasn't corrected early. But it's so important that we correct the kids. And there's a whole group of pediatric dentists who are correcting airway early. The American Dental Association now recommends it. The American Pediatric Medicine thing says there's nothing, there's no such thing as normal snoring in kids. Uh, And the American Orthodontic Group doesn't think early intervention is necessary. And they also don't think there's anything wrong with taking out bicuspids. And I talked to every all the orthodontists in my area saying, I really want to have my kids expanded at three, four, five, six,
2: okay. because
3: Dr. Gozal did the work. And if you don't expand them before age seven, they're not going to return to normal. And none of the orthodontists want to see anybody at the very earliest at eight. Most of them want, don't, don't want to see them until 10 and 12 years old. And it's like, but people like you
1: like, uh,
3: and the people in way Circle, we're going to be the ones who fix the next generation, because we don't want to see another generation of this happening. And we know this has only been going on for 400 years.
4: Right. Oh, my Lord.
3: Boricini's book did the work. And it's like, it's, this is not genetic. It's epigenetic. It's environmentally related. And it can be changed wow thank you for your work
4: thank you guys for being here
0: thank you for listening to the breathing lab with dr jenny